what you've done to yourself. Tell the tell the listeners and the people at home what you've done. I hurt myself. No. Yeah, well, how did you hurt yourself? It wasn't an accident, was it? In a dumb way. Tell them. No, tell them exactly. Tell them. No, I'm paying. I'm paying the price. 24/7. I'm paying the price because I have to walk. I have to wait on you, hand and foot. (laughs) Quite literally, foot. Tell them what you've done. No. I'll tell them. Right. Listen. She thought she had a veruca, so she used that freezing treatment. Too impatient at it working, she, she did it again and then gave herself a wound in her well, foot. I wanted it to. I know this isn't how life works, but I thought by doing it twice in a row, no. it would speed it up. No, you don't. Food does not cook. You know, if you turn the food temperature up to twice the temperature, it doesn't cook twice as fast. It burns and then doesn't cook properly on yeah, the well, inside. My foot is burnt now. Yeah, because you got an infection because you've been silly. A big blister on it you've been very silly just keeps getting bigger and bigger welcome to Sorry. between you and me beyond pod the marillion podcast with me paul rose and i'm here with my wife sanya Hello. <laughs> my, my, why did you say it like that my impatient wife you know even as i was doing it i thought this is probably a mistake unbelievable and i did it anyway unbelievable yeah anyway right News. We have news. New news. We do. Yes, big news. Big news. So Marillion can't get themselves insured for the forthcoming tour, the Light at the End of the Tunnel tour. That's right. So we, the fans, have been asked to become their insurance company. And this might be another Marillion first. Yeah, Possibly, potentially, like the crowd funder that we spoke about. Last week, yes, so it's very timely, isn't it? Well, they're claiming it's their first, and they're saying it's from the band that invented crowdfunding. Yes, we have had a few comments kind of going, Well, they didn't really, did they? Yeah, Uh, but come on, it's they're the first considered the first big mainstream ish uh outfit to do it. Uh, so are they the first to? Crowdfund insurance. Well, let's explain to the listeners what's happening. They're calling it, they're calling it light savers. Yes. After the tour being called Light at the End of the Tunnel. And there are various tiers that you can pledge at up to £250, although that's gone. You can't anymore. That's gone. That nope. went straight away. Yeah, you didn't even get to pledge at that tier. Do you know what? And I may have done. I've got no money, particularly having bought a new boiler. Uh, but I probably would have done because... The, the things that are being offered are the sorts of things that I kind of hope we might get with the album pre-order. Oh, I see. Yeah, they're the sort of kind of one-off, one-of-a-kind yes. things that I really hoped that, that, that we might get. Uh, so I probably would have done, because I was wi- willing to go all in with the album pre-order. Yes. Uh, but, you know, wasn't... I wish you would have. What do you mean? Why do you wish I had? Because I would really like the playing cards and the and the cassette and the lanyard i'm the lanyard queen anyway the so you got these these i don't know five six tiers uh some of them are limited in terms of the number of people that you that that can back at those tiers and the idea is you pledge your amount if the tour gets cancelled that money will go to pay off the huge debt that the band will have because they still have to pay kind of to the trucking companies and the crew and everyone else all that still has to be paid but if the tour does go ahead fine we get our money back but we still get entered into a draw and still get our rewards regardless so you still get you still get all the rewards regardless. yes and some of them are things like 
Is it an online chat with 50 other fans? Well, that no, that's what I've got because I yeah. went for the £100 so that's tier. So that's in that tier. I, I do wonder, other bands, are they all unable to get insured? Well, I was wondering, like, we, you know, we just have been to see Genesis who are on a massive worldwide tour. But, Can you imagine the cost of their insurance? But I'm sure they've got more money to play with. So maybe it's about how much you can pay. But then surely their insurance would be, like, even higher. Perhaps it's... Perhaps it's, you know, trying to tiptoe around this slightly. Perhaps it's because Rodders has got diabetes. Oh. Maybe. Oh. You know, so maybe it's to do with the age and health of the band. I mean, no. Oh, Genesis, Genesis are, are not older. exactly oh, yeah, Phil, spring chickens. Phil isn't exactly in the best of health. Spring, Phil didn't skip onto the stage, did no, he? No, he didn't. Yeah, maybe it's something like that. I don't know. Because bands are touring again. Yes. So what's the deal? Yeah, and playing big venues. I'm not I'm um, this isn't this is absolutely not kind of any slight against Marillion because I, mean, I think maybe... I think it's a great idea and I like the fact that this is taking insurance out of the hands of, of some big company that's gonna make money. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I like the yeah. fact that this is you know, we all get something out of it potentially if we back it and on top of that it's a gamble, but you know, potentially get our money back with sort of minimal risk, really. Yeah. I think it's a um, genius idea. I think it's and... great. Also, you know, and it's very heartening to see how the fans jumped to support the band. Well, let's see. I don't, yeah, we don't Well, know. the 250 tiers sold out already. But there was limited numbers of that. Right. So the hardcore jumped at it. But some, yeah. of, the, some of the things you can win, do you want to know what some of these are? I'd, I'd love to. A signed test pressing of the new album, which I'd like. Guitar strings, not bothered. Bass strings, really not bothered. Um, signed drum heads. I prefer that better, uh, uh, you know, than the other things because you, you can't really sign bass strings, can you? No, <laughs> be, unless you had a really tiny pen. A full set of plectrums used on the tour. Not really bothered. Set of drumsticks. One. Yeah, but you see, you could frame huh? the plectrums if it's a full set. You could put them in a nice frame and put mm. it up on your wall. Okay. Uh, signed set list. That I'd like. One per night. They're going to give away one per oh, night. Oh wow. Uh, a song dedication, one per night. So you get a song <gasps> dedicated to you. Oh, you'd love that. And, of course, you also get a download of your choice from the tour. Oh. I think I think it's of your choice. So, you know, you could get your your name memorialised at a Marillion gig. Uh, a tour laminate, which you'll probably love um, from one of the band. Uh, this is a big one. Uh, Rother's Hat. Oh. Uh, just says Rother's Hat. Then a vial of Pete's Tears. What? Um, what? Is that true? You, yeah, yeah. No, please. You is get, that really uh, true? Go on a log flume with Does H. Go on a log flume you're with not, H. You're making this up. Uh, and the last one is, it doesn't really explain this. It just says a knife. <laughs> Hang on. Is Rother's hat real? Or did you make that up? <laughs> Have you ever seen Rother's in a hat? No, but he might wear one off duty. No, the last ones were... Um... <laughs> Wow, Pete's tears. <laughs> I just thought what? he must cry a lot. Um, he probably cries more than any other member of the band, I think. Why? That's just the feeling I've got. So the last two, free entry to Marillion concerts for life. What? Oh, okay. We're entering into that. Maybe I should... Well, I have entered into maybe that. I, no, maybe I should get a tear oh, as well. Excludes Marillion weekends. You don't get those oh, for free. Oh, okay. And assigned Steve H. Garza shirt, you know... Uh, I wonder if that's a The Garza shirt with the peace sign on the back. No. That'd be good, wouldn't it? 
Yeah. And then Rodder's hat, a vial of Pete's... <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> See if I can get you a second time with it. So mm. that's all right, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's good. And of course, yeah, well, I don't know how... Which really tier was that in, though? What All of those, all the tiers. Oh, but there was one I saw... Um... Some lyrics or something? Handwritten lyrics. I'd like that. Me too. Well, song I'd would you love go for? that. I'd have to give it some thought, Paul. I would choose, would you choose Beyond You or uh, White Paper. Part of me kind of wants to go, I oh, know, make him do a really long one. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it would wow. be one of those two. Mm. Or After Me. Oh. Oh. So that's, that's uh, the news. Maybe I'd go for... Oh. Maybe I'd go for sounds that can't be made. Yeah, you like that, don't you? I just like the lyrics. Mm. So here we are. Nice. Anyway, let's move on. Anorak, nephobia. Mm. We have finally made it. Well, we well, did, no, we kind we of, kind we of started last week. week yes. we? Yeah, this is, but this is, we're going to start talking about the songs. But before we get there, we want to talk about the title. Was the title controversial? Well, it's proving to be because as people start writing to us, we're starting to realise, oh, okay, some people were a bit put out by the title. And that makes me feel better because I was a little bit conflicted by it. Now, and you're, you're talking about back in the day when it came out. Yeah. Straight away you felt a little bit... Yes, I immediately conflicted. kind of went, oh, right, okay. Mm. Um, there were two reasons for that. One, it it's a pun. Okay, and I don't think... It, it tapped into that thing and I'm going to try really hard not to be too negative here. I'm going to try really hard. Here we go. Wish uh, him luck, everyone. Wish me luck. It tapped into that slight sense that of Marillion wanting to pe- people to think they had a sense of humour, which right. I felt... During... Marillion wanting other people to think that they had a sense of Sometimes humor. I felt I felt in the 90s that they tried a little bit too hard to kind of go, you know, hey, we're not the po-face serious band you think we are oh, okay and so the title and the cover artwork which actually for the record i know a lot of people didn't like it i actually really like the cover artwork um i think i think for for the cd era mm. something that bold and graphic and striking really works mm-hmm. uh yes all right admittedly it probably looks like a i don't know some dance album or something like that rather mm. than a, you know, a yeah rock band album. I, I can see uh, but well, people would think that. Yeah, but and I know people didn't like it, but I I actually do because it's really striking and really iconic, mm. and and it works. It works on a CD case, uh, and I think Barry worked as well as a sort of icon for the, the tour and yes. you know subsequent things. Um, I mean, the fact it was called Barry is a little bit annoying again because it's like, oh, it's a funny name, Barry. Oh, Barry, Barry for Barry what, for Birmingham. What would you have called him? I wouldn't. Mm, I don't know. Nothing. Anorak guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Aaron. So if Aaron. they if they'd have called him Anorak guy, that you wouldn't be complaining right now. You wouldn't be saying, "Oh, they could have thought." Of well, don't, don't call more. him anything, but just refer to him as Anorak guy. It doesn't really matter. Okay. I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting here now brainstorming what I would have called Barry, the little Anorak I think guy. Barry works. Okay. So there was that. It was like, okay, right, they're trying to, you know, we're, we're, hey, we don't write, we don't write songs called Script for Jester's Tear anymore. No, just if my heart were a ball, it would roll uphill. But, you know, let's, let's skip over that for the moment. And then there was just the use of the word anorak, because I'm assuming most people listen to this 
get what an anorak is. You know, anorak as well, waterproof, lightweight coat. Mm -hmm. But also in the UK, it's used as a sort of shorthand for nerds, basically. Mm -hmm. Train spotters. Right. I only learned that from you. I'd never heard of that phrase before. Phrase, word before. Yeah. So, yeah, and maybe they pose for wacky photos around the time in anoraks. Um, holding coat hangers, which only made sense in the original Japanese advert that uh, the, the image was taken from. Mm-hmm. He says taken charitably. You know, and wearing kind of those sort of thick nerd glasses, those comedy nerd glasses. So they all did that. Mm. And I admit, I, I felt it, it again, that was slightly too close to the whole, uh, hey, you know, we're not prog and the fans that we've currently got aren't good enough for us. Oh, I'm, right. I do admit it did feel like, a, again, another slight slap in the face. Mm. Even though I was sort of very hyped up about the album because of the pre-order mm-hmm. and the fact that Dave Megan was back, the title was a step back. So it was, you know, two steps forward, one step back mm. once once the title was announced. And look, let me just read, read this out from H. This was a, a, I think they all wrote something for the, website um and the album came out in may uh came out in may 2001 but in march that year they all said some things explaining it occurred to me about a year ago watching nevermind the buzzcocks which those of you don't know is a uk music quiz show comedy music quiz show or something like that that we're starting to live in a take the piss culture and that having a cheap shot or ripping the piss out of somebody has become a national sport in this country And all the easy targets are people who believe in something and have a passion. Our fans are the easiest people in the world to point the finger at and call anoraks. And the thing about these guys that are sitting there, the Mark Lamars and the Angus Deatons of the world, Mark Lamar was the original host of Nevermind the Buzzcocks. Right, and Angus Deaton? Was the original host of of I Got News For You. Right. Um, Whether you love or hate them is that they never actually stand up and declare what they believe in themselves, because if they were to do that, then everybody else would point and laugh at them. So really, to declare a passion is the slight irony with this, because I believe Mark Lamar is like sort of one of the foremost authorities on sort of reggae in Britain. (laughs) So slight, uh, slightly not true. Right. Anyways, but so really to declare a passion is to expose yourself to ridicule. And I personally would much rather have a world full of people that were passionate and believed in something and cared about something than a load of two-dimensional types who stood around smirking and pointing at other people. I really just wanted to say, we know you're all anoraks and there's nothing wrong with it. We're anoraks too. The point of the title anoraknophobia was no fear of it. Anorak no phobia. Ah, now, now, okay, okay. I some years back worked on the writing team briefly of a very popular British sitcom. It mm-hmm. had uh, one of those American table uh, writing teams where you all sit around the table and pitch in jokes and writing stuff. Room. A writing room, yes, that's it. Uh, which generally isn't the way that sitcoms are written in Britain, um, and. There were certain people in that room who'd been on the show a long time who referred to the show's fans as sheep. What? Uh, and on the night, real? on the night that. Uh, I'm taking it not in a loving way. No. And on the night that, that the show was to be recorded, they would sort of stand at the window looking down at the line of, of 
fans of the show because often some of them would come week in, week out and make sheep noises. That's so rude and, and cruel. I was I was shocked because it was like yeah, these people are paying your wages. Yeah, they're admiring your work, you fool. And yes, paying your wages. You know, that audience is there to see stuff you come yeah, up with. Yeah, that's, wow, that's um, unbelievable. Now, I'm not saying that was the same case with Marillion, but it's it's like famously on uh, Doctor Who, their 1980s producer, John Nathan Turner, referred to the fans as barkers because they were barking mad. Um, yeah, the hardcore right. fans. Yeah, and but then uh, why would see? This is where I'm gonna I'm gonna actually be an advocate for a H's explanation. They just had their butts saved by their fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The crowd fund. Why would they title an album Anarachnophobia unless it really unless it was what he said? anarachnophobia and standing up for them and also i have another theory but i'll let you finish i'll let you finish well look first. i'm not saying marillion would take the piss out of their fans behind the fans backs i'm not saying that more directly to their faces if they're titling an album <laughs> but look the word anarach was floating around in their vocabulary obviously you know mm. and he is saying the fans are anaracs and i'm sorry vocabulary. that statement from h wasn't made in isolation it came off the back of a whole load of comments that he had been making for the previous sort of five years or so, you know, mm. where he was clearly very embarrassed about being in Marillion. Yeah, we know this. Look, I'm trying not to be negative, but we, we're still there. Excuse my suspicion. But, but I don't totally buy that at that point, that version of H, the person who he was there, always appreciated 100% the hardcore. Because that hardcore a lot of the times, possibly turned around and bit him because they, you know, were saying things like we've been saying for the past 12 weeks. So uh, you think because they would pull him up on the stuff he'd said in the past? Well, no, I'm more thinking about, you know, the the hardcore who had been there since the fish era, et cetera, et cetera. Right. You know, the, oh, the hardcore, the, yeah. the died, die hard, died in the wall, Marillion fans. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he was being sincere there. I, mean, I know I, Marillion appreciate their fans. I know that yeah. for a fact now. Yes. But don't forget, this was 2001 where a lot of us, including myself, had just come out of a period where we felt we weren't, we, the hardcore, the ones who had been there since the 80s, did not feel appreciated by their then current lead singer. So, so I don't, I don't want to say that really because we sort of swore off being too negative. But I was still smarting at that point. Mm. Uh, and so I wasn't... H still had a way to go in order to get me back on side. Yeah, I mean, I fully understand why some fans might have been a little bit suspicious. But I don't know. I don't... I really... I can't imagine the band putting out an album with that title, with that kind of meaning behind well, uh, it. and also also having listened to the album i'm not getting any hints from the lyrics or anything that back up the, uh, that meaning no. in the title the title is completely disconnected from the album right okay this is not it, the title forget the title having anything to do with any kind of concept or anything on the album it isn't it's totally removed mm. but 
you know, H saying we we know you're all anorax. Okay, I, it didn't doesn't really offend me. I don't mind being you know kind of going yeah. I'm kind of like obsessively nerdy about some things, and I am. I don't mind that. And him saying, and there's nothing wrong with it. Well, I don't think there is anyway. So you know, <laughs> uh, and then him going we're anorax too. Now, has anything H has ever done or said? demonstrated to you that he might consider himself an anorak slash nerd nah i think h is more about how cool he looks i don't think he wasn't talking about himself maybe he was was talking about some of the other band members that's disingenuous sorry h is all about posing and pouting and wanting people to you know appreciate his art or at least was back then it was disingenuous at, at best for him to say that. All right, very nice sentiment that you're kind of going, we're all in this together. You're the same as us. No, you're the band that we are, the Anoraks, uh, are obsessed with. We're but not the same. Why choose the title then at that particular well, point because in time? I, I'll tell you why. Because the Anoraks funded the album. The Anoraks funded yes, that album. So, so it is Anorak no-phobia. It's not as your suggesting potentially i don't get it it here's what it boils down to i don't get it right yeah, but I let's don't get it okay either. i don't really get it but it that's why i think you know we've had people contact us who mm. sort of said that they felt a bit offended by the title probably because it's a bit confusing and sends slightly yeah. mixed messages i guess it's, it's like, especially considering it doesn't connect to anything in no, the album it's like but marillion have done the a few things like this over the years that have been a bit like us bit weird like what? Uh, well okay i'm going to tell you one in a minute uh, about what they did with the between you and me single uh, but there was an example years ago where there was a, a review i think in a magazine which compared h's voice to chris de burr and lucy went online and said i want everyone to send this review of pictures of chris de burr what yeah, that was that was the reaction of most people. Wherever you get pictures, get, cut them out of magazines or whatever. Just let's just flood him with pictures of Chris the Burr. And it, it at the time, I okay, what uh, what's that going to achieve? What what's the message there? Um, what what okay? Um, I don't think many people did it, and I think because I think she was she was put off it because pretty much the reaction on the forum or whatever was, huh? <laughs> So, uh, it's the, I don't know, it's similar sort of old thinking that, that right. kind of doesn't quite... A little bit, it doesn't align. Yeah, it doesn't join there's something up. that, yeah, there's some puzzle piece missing. Yeah. Right. So, so let's just, so the album came out in May 2001. It didn't chart because it wasn't eligible to chart. Why? Because of the pre-orders. So it oh, had, I had see. to be sold in sort of, yeah. Ah, that makes so sense. there weren't enough sales in record shops it actually sold worse than dot com in record shops no no just generally did it but it kind of didn't matter they mm. were they, they now could afford to sell fewer records yes uh because of how they were now funding their albums it didn't chart in the uk even though emi were distributing it the single disc version because of course we had the double disc those of us who pre-ordered but also it's pre-order sales were all through the band's website. But additionally, the retail versions, probably in order to get fans to buy two copies, came with an exclusive sticker of Barry. And that made it ineligible for uh, chart sales because that was seen as an incentive. 
Oh, I see. To buy the album. But surely they weren't trying to get it to chart because they knew... Well, they were. They, they'd had the pre-order, well, so... Well, I think they were probably they wanting was, it. Oh, OK. Yeah, yes. I mean, no, they wouldn't complain if it charted, but... Yeah, I still think, you know, yes, it's all well and good, the, the Anorak's paying for the album, but I think they still wanted Paul. it to get in the charts. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read you this press release about about the Between You and Me stroke Map of the World single. Because mm-hmm. if you remember, the Mark Kelly mix of Between You and Me was the version that was uh, released mm-hmm. as a single. Yeah. Um, with the double B-side of Map of the World. It wasn't the first track that we heard. The first track that we heard was This Is The 21st Century. They released that online. Oh, right. But not as a single. The, the, the bone of Friday single was sold in September. It came out in September 2001. Uh, so taking uh, yourself back in time, what did you think when you heard This Is The 21st Century? I really liked it. I really liked it. It reminded me, this is wrong, but it reminded me of, I don't know if you know the Duran Duran song. Um, oh God, has it come undone? It's come undone, which was sort of off there. It was off the wedding album, if, I, if I'm correct, which was kind of when they had a bit of a sort of second wind in the early 90s and sounded kind of more modern than they had done for some time. Mm. Anyway, it reminded me of that, but yeah. but quite a lot longer. <laughs> 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 but we'll get to that probably next week, to be honest. Anyway, this was the press release that, that, that accompanied Between You and Me. So the title said, Bog Off, Say Marillion brackets they're at it again bog off stood for buy one get one free yet again marillion are banishing the standard music industry practices with the release of their new double a single between you and me slash map of the world in another unprecedented project fans buying the single from their popular website are being given a free copy for each single bought the fans are then sending the free copy along with a letter and band biography provided by marillion to their local radio station to encourage airplay. And with over 10,000 copies set to be posted to local radio stations worldwide, that's optimistic, the band's exposure is set to be massively enhanced. Lead singer Steve H. Hogarth said, look around, listen around. <laughs> Sorry, that's not, really, that's not really a phrase, is it? Listen around, everybody. <laughs> I'll start that again. <laughs> that caught me by surprise. Look around, listen around. Surely the music business has to change. How do real bands compete with the hearsay Britney Spears astronomical marketing promotion spend? Ouch. Again, feeling a little bit dodgy there. Um, This experiment enables us to plough any profits straight into promotion and to mobilise our legendary fans to raise a concerted voice to radio and, to a lesser extent, the media. On balance, we decided our own independent release is the way to go. It's great that EMI have the vision to let us run with this. There's been a lot of indifference to us at radio. Now we're in a position to let everyone know we're alive and well with the best weapons we have, our music and our fans. Check it out. Anyway, and then it goes on about anorakophobia. Now, what do you think about that as a plan? I mean, might as well give it a go. <laughs> how, did it, how did it turn out? It didn't work at all. Uh, didn't get any radio play and the single didn't chart. So, 
Yeah, I don't know if it didn't. I mean, there wasn't. I mean, it's a unique direction to go in. There wasn't a lot of incentive to buy the single because there wasn't a, like an exclusive B side on right. there. It was just music you already had if you owned the album. Then you had to go through the effort of finding the address of your local radio station and doing it. So yeah, it just didn't work. And I kind of, it was one of those that I kind of went at the time. I thought, that's not going to work. Did you um, participate? No. No, I got a single, but I didn't. You didn't write a <laughs> yeah. letter to your radio station? No, because that's a lot of effort. I suppose if it takes a lot sometimes to get people to do something unless they benefit directly in some way. Yeah. And perhaps I wasn't feeling charitable enough towards the band. At perhaps the time. you didn't like the title of the album. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly weren't inspired to help them in that way no uh no i don't think it, i don't know i just didn't do it because it's just a bit of faff isn't it mm. and people don't do faff people do things yeah, that are easy that are easy yeah. i'll tell you what's easy buying an album online yes you know paying for the band's insurance online yes that's really easy. easy no brainer i'm gonna put something in an envelope walk to a post box look up the address yeah yeah it's not easy enough for people so yeah, nice idea, but it it I don't know. And also, are there enough local radio stations? I mean, if they sold ten thousand copies like they thought, most of those would be in the UK. So you could imagine turning up if it had worked. You know, let's say I don't know, pick a local radio station. I don't know. Let's let's. I want to say Bummo FM. That's what's keeps popping into my head. But Bummo isn't a place. It's a person. <laughs> Say, right, okay, so let's say Bummo FM, mm. you know, gets like, I don't know, 3,000 copies of this Marillion single turn up on their door. How do you think, yes. that, how do you think they're going to respond? Well, not favourably. And then not they favorably. might, out of spite, not play the single. Yeah, and let's face it, Marillion were already uh, dealing with having pissed off journalists with that original press release. Mm. I mean, they were attempting lots of different things, I suppose. You know, like they were doing this student, this tour of, you know, universities where they gave away the Crash Course CD. And I suppose some of it worked and some of it didn't. Mm. You know, I admire them. You've got to hand it to them, though, for putting in the effort of trying different things. Yeah. It felt like they they were hungry They didn't sit there and go, oh, nothing's going to work. I'm not going to try. No. They actually went out there and made the attempt well yeah what and some was... things did work like the crowdfunding some all of things it... were extremely successful or yeah and all of it did give us i suppose the sense that marillion cared again mm. and weren't just going through the motions they wanted to still be an ongoing presence and that that you know it didn't feel i never got a sense of sort of desperation or anything just that they were like no we want to be heard mm. but but at the same time, they still had a degree of needing to get a grip on their messaging and needing to get a grip on how they sold themselves, really to the, their own fans, more than the wider world, which unfortunately for most of the 90s and up to a degree up to anorachophobia, they were more preoccupied with the world beyond their fan base. Right. So did, well, did it feel like fan. they were kind of a little bit neglecting their fans and yeah, trying to so. win the favours of strangers rather than yeah, it did rather than yeah. treat their family well. Yeah, it did. It took a while before they reached that point again. Um, but there was there were steps in the right direction with this. Mm. Um, and Marbles did it really well. 
but yeah, it, it it was I don't know. So we're still still sort of feeling a little bit conflicted about Marillion as a whole, I suppose, during this time. That said, the album I really liked way more than dot com and there was a sense of relief at hearing it back then and a sense of oh this is an album with confidence mm. that sounds great and is played well i'm not saying it's my favorite marillion album it isn't even at the time there's that you know i felt there was stuff on there that could have been improved and i still do <laughs> uh but the, the thing that strikes me, listening to it back now, is that opening quadruple whammy of Between You and Me, Quartz, Map of the World, and When I Meet God. It's like four songs that just kind of go boom, 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 right? and it slows down for... It's a for, strong start. It's a really strong start to an album. So, so I think I might have mentioned this on uh, a previous episode about how an interviewer asked... <laughs> asked Rothers after the album came out whether the album was basically just Ice Cream Genius Part 2. Right. Rothers got a bit defensive. But do you know why he asked that? Because he thought there were a lot, and there are, there's sort of drum samples and loops and the sounds on it are oh, kind right. of more modern yes. than they had been yes. using. But, you know, even though it's self Nothing like Ice Cream Genius at all. I know, and Ice Cream Genius was a solo project, so yeah. it's like, why? Well, I'm just confused. Yeah. Anyway, you know, maybe Rothers, he had a good reason to answer that. was then got a bit defensive and sort of said that most of the sounds on the album kind of came from him and that H didn't necessarily have a lot to do with the writing of the music on the album, which again, I just find that fascinating. I always thought they all, mm. yeah, they that all is chipped in equally. But one thing that this album does stand out, apart from Pete's bass playing, which is just... just so alive and so present on the mm. album. But something else they did on the album was was mixing up instruments. For instance, like Rothers sometimes would play a synth line. Oh, uh, really? Or program a drum machine. Or Pete would pick up a guitar. And there was a lot of that sort of oh, sense of experimentation. Because they had the, a little bit more time and they had Dave Megan in the studio to catalogue everything. And so consequently... It sounds like a band that's having more fun, and but also kind of more comfortable in their own skin. That mm, that to me, I feel true. really comes across. Yeah, you can hear that. And so when they are experimenting, it feels much more authentic. Yes, it's a more authentic yes. album. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree word. with that for sure. And and so consequently, I think this is what I felt at the time was okay. I don't love everything on it, and yes, I do think. You know, some of it's probably a bit overworked and probably a bit longer than it needed to be. But I kind of go, but all of it, I don't know, there's a cohesion to the album as a whole. Mm, yes. Even though it's very mixed up in terms of genres, it feels like it, it holds together. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Anyway, let's start with our namesake. <laughs> Between you and me. Betwang yang badang. Betwang yang manang. The song that gave this podcast its name. Yes. Between you and me. What 
inspired you to choose is it one of your favorite songs what inspired you to choose this song as our namesake well because this strange podcast was taken right uh, and it it made sense because it was about two people isn't it yeah. it's between I mean, you yeah. and me yes and our listeners which are the you plural yes and our singular <laughs> between them which and us becomes me <laughs> Yeah, it, it, that's, that's why it just it, it jumped out at me. It was like, well, obviously, because I was going through Meridian songs and sort of, mm. you know, seeing if there were any that uh, either lent themselves or lent themselves to a pun around podcast. I mean, you know, I did I did toy with When I Meet Pod. Oh, uh, <laughs> that would have been good. That was close. But between you and me is better. Plus I think it's well, the best choice. Be Ampod. I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah. It's got a special ring to it. Yeah. So this was a single, but it wasn't a single until quite a while after the album came out. And as oh, we've right. established, it was the Mark Kelly remix version. Uh, unfortunately, that single was released on September the 10th, 2001. Uh, that's almost exactly... I'm not going to do the maths. 20 years. Literally, literally almost Oh, oh exactly yeah, almost exactly 20 years uh, ago. I'm just going to repeat the date again. September the 10th, 2001. No, Tony's looking at me blankly. Oh, oh my goodness. That's bad timing. That's pretty bad timing. I always thought 9-11 was 2002. No. I don't know why. Remember, we've just had the 20th anniversary. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so it disappeared without a trace. Oh, that's bad luck. They've got such bad luck with their singles. Well, I mean, it's interesting because I've got a little quote here from Pete. Where uh, this was uh, in an interview with you know in the Web UK with our friend Simon Clark. Now he says it's very commercial. Map of the world and between you and me are probably the most commercial tracks on the album. And I think EMI should have a single because that way it allows people to play it on the radio, which they obviously did their buy one get one free thing. Mm-hmm. So Pete says <laughs> the sad thing about choosing a song like that as a single is it could be any band really. <laughs> Pete said that. It, it doesn't really. Pete himself yeah. said that. It doesn't really have a Marillion identity. Whoa, my mind is blown. Yeah. He himself said that. Yeah. He's got a point. <laughs> He's got a point. I know, but it's what we've been saying a lot recently yeah. over the last few hours. That they always. I just didn't realise that back in the day that some members of the band were so aware of it. Yeah, it's exactly what we said, that they felt a pressure to write singles in those days and obviously were. And obviously mm. Map of the World and Between You and Me were the two that they... So do you think they specifically wrote it as a single? Like, we need a single, we need something that's quite... What's the word that's not generic? Well, commercial is commercial, one word. there we go. There's but there, a is, there is word. another word. I think they're the safer songs. Yes, they're certainly the two safest songs on this album in terms of... Absolutely. Know, they're not the sort of songs that would scare your granny. No. <laughs> and you think that they specifically went into the album with the intention of writing a couple of safe commercial well, songs? Well, I, I thought they did it. I thought they'd been doing it since, well, Kaylee. That's what that was. Yeah. what I've been saying. You know, we yeah. did an episode, you know, did Kaylee ruin Marillion? Yeah. And I don't mean that it ruined Marillion, but it meant that... I think they chased that commercial sound and that that potential of of what a hit single can bring, 
until they finally realised there's no point because no one's going to play us anyway. <laughs> and then just started concentrating on what they do best. Uh, so, yeah, it feels like a sort of tacit admission from the band there to, to kind of go, yeah, yeah, that's what we're doing. It's not really us. It's is not it? really us. So yeah. then you kind of think, well, what's the bloody point? What's the point? What? Which song would you have picked as the single? Well, was there any point in picking a single, full stop? Because if it's not going to get played anyway, and it's gonna, not going to even chart because it, it, you know, doesn't sell enough, mm. what's the point? Because then all you've done is is divert energy away from p- perhaps other more interesting musical areas. Yeah. Which is what they seem to do now. I mean, I I know they released Living in Fear from Fear as a single, but I don't get the sense with that 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 was necessarily written as a single. Well, I I think, looking at this album, I would have picked When I Meet God to release as a single. It's too long. How do you do that? Uh, shorten it for the single version, but I think in the same way as Living in Fear is not an obviously poppy song to release as a single. If you look, if you think back to the late 80s and the fellow that we saw last week, um, Mike, from Mike and the Mechanics, his single in Living Years did really <laughs> well. Mike Rutherford, the guy from Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean? <laughs> the guy we saw lo- last week, Mike, <laughs> of the Mechanics. Yeah, I couldn't remember his surname. <laughs> like, I remember being a kid, like, loving that song. And it was huge in Australia. And that's not, it's not a typical single, is it? I'd never really? heard of Mike and the Mechanics. I'd never heard of Mike Rutherford. Oh, no, I right? think that's quite commercial. Oh. In the same way as When I Meet God is. I, I think know. they're kind of on a similar wavelength. I think The Living Years is quite catchy. I don't think When I Meet God is a catchy song in that way. It's a bit more arty. Mm, I mean, maybe, but I don't know. They anyway. could have given it a go. Look, I, yeah, I, it could doesn't matter. Could have, Hindsight is twenty twenty. I'm just being devil's advocate because I think Marillion should, if they're going to release tracks, release songs that sound like Marillion. Absolutely. Because my first Absolutely. thought, my first thought when I heard Between You and Me, and I'm going to just say this up front, I do like it as a song. I think it's one of their better pop rock songs. I mean, File It Next to Three Minute Boy, Under the Sun, You're Gone, all those. Put it next to those. But, uh, my first thought was, oh, it's Meridian trying to do U2's Beautiful Day. Right. Which had come yes. out not that long before. I can hear that. And yeah. it wouldn't be the first time that Meridian had been influenced by U2. Mm. Uh, I can hear that. Yeah, you know, U2 had a big hit with that song. So I hate to say it, but that, that was my thought. And I still think it today. It doesn't mm. sound exactly like it, but it's got that same sort of pop rock energy. Mm. And it, it sounds sufficiently unlike Marillion and more like you too that mm. that I can't you can't escape it really right yeah I mean that said it, it it's definitely one of their better pop rock songs yeah do you know what I like it too I like it I think it's a great pop rock song it's not one of my favorite Marillion songs but it's um it's likable it's yeah it's enjoyable to listen to to sing along it's to. fun live because it yes. gives a bit of uplift of energy. It's got a lot going on. It's like a packed song. Mm. And it has, it's it, it's a nice kind of uh, up-tempo 
bang start after the lull of the piano which Marillion put that piano bit in apparently to kind of make people think oh god we're gonna get a pop rock album did they apparently it was like they, apparently oh, there was debate was like over a, a, whether to leave it mm. and the idea was yeah that they do it so people think they're getting one thing but actually and they then get, they go psych psych you two pastiche bitches <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that that was the intention of having that bit in there, <laughs> right? <laughs> which, okay. which of course wasn't on the single version, but it works. You know, yeah, I yeah, like it's it. It's fine. The I only like bit I don't, the only bit I don't like on the song is the sort of bridge bit, the Monday, Tuesday, blow a Tuesday, because it takes all the energy out of the song and it's a bit dreary. Mm. Yeah, that's not. I mean, overall, I guess I, I I never really singled it out, but that could be the reason why it wouldn't ever be one of my favourite songs even one of their pop songs like i kind of prefer because of the monday tuesday bit yeah yeah i know Maybe why is that is in there that. it's a really because i was trying to figure it out i was like i don't dislike it i like it but there's something about it that makes it me not love it and i think it might be that yeah yeah it's the Monday, Tuesday, yeah. blow a fuse day in the usual way. And it goes on slightly and, too long. And <laughs> it sounds a bit like a nursery rhyme, which yeah, the lyrics are a bit nursery rhymey. Yeah. In that section. And I don't know, that's just a personal thing you don't for like me. Nursery rhyme I don't know. I mean, maybe you can make them work in certain songs, but. What about Ring a Ring a Roses We All Fall Down? Rule Britannia. You'd like that okay, bit because yeah. Fish sang it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you've got bias yeah, towards Fish. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I find that bridge, that sort of musical break into that nursery rhyme bit, as you call it, it it's kind of twice as long as I, I, I mm. kind of want it to be. I mean, I'd rather it wasn't in there at all and it just mm. kind of kept the song carried on having the same sort of momentum throughout. That said, I really like the piano that comes in, sort of Jim Steinman, Jim Steinman, who wrote most of um, Meatloaf's big hits. Mm. He's got that Jim Steinman piano, that after that, that kind of builds. And I like the way it builds to an end and it also doesn't fade out. It comes to a nice sort of of puffs. (laughs) I don't know. Puffs away. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's a good song. Not a great song. No, it's not really. It's a good song. It's a good song. I wouldn't I wouldn't leave the room if it came on if they were playing it live. And it's my it would have been my choice for the track to open the album, definitely. I yeah, think, I, think. I think it works as an opener. Yeah. And overall, um you can hear you can hear the difference in production straight away oh, with immediately. it. It's like miles ahead of Marillion.com. Well, in this same interview with the band that I had, uh, apparently Dave Megan had said, uh, described Anna Magnafabia as Marillion with attitude. Right. Uh, yeah, that works. And it works as well because, like, the bass is really highlighted. There's great drumming mm. in it. Great that, keyboards. That gives it attitude, I think. The album as a whole, there's some really great sort of keyboard and organ yes. on the album. Yeah. I don't know whether it's H or Mark. All of it, it's all of them. The, this album but it as could a whole, just be how it's produced that that's highlighted that we can hear it better. Yeah, maybe. 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 But uh, the album as a whole, as I sort of said earlier, it, it's 
you can see it feels like they've got something to prove. They've got a lot of energy, but it's also all of them. It feels like they're really operating as a band. Yes. Yes, that is very, very apparent. So um, let's talk about the song's meaning because it's the first Marillion album with H, I think, uh, where he writes all the lyrics, with the exception of a bit of Map of the World, which we'll get to. There's no Helmer lyrics on here. There are some, is there a uh, reason for that? There are some fish lyrics. Uh, what? Yeah. Oh, you missed that, didn't you? Oh, I you did missed miss that. that. Yeah. Which song? Uh, we'll get to it. <laughs> we'll get to it next week, unfortunately, because we've waffled on for too long this week. Uh, oh, there may even really be a vocal curious. performance by Mick Pointer on there. Vocal performance? Uh huh. No way. What? Yeah. Oh, I'm really confused now. Yeah, there's mysteries on this album. A new, hang on, new vocal performance no, no, or they've one. brought in, oh. Say it from script. Oh, anyway. Um, very curious. So Dave Megan is very much, and, and this went even further with Marbles, very much about H developing his voice and not, I don't mean sort of his singing voice, but his, his emotional voice and his lyrics and kind of owning the band that way. And as H said, describes Dave Megan as a very sensitive man and sometimes it frustrates me that I don't have a wait for this brace yourself sometimes frustrates me that I don't have a sounding board in the band that is really maybe not a sensitive person but someone who'll even admit to being sensitive (laughs) Um, there's a bravado thing really and there's a as a hey, we don't talk about that stuff in the band. And that's what's fantastic about me working with Megan is he understands me and he's somewhere I can go to ponder spiritual and intellectual ideas. Wow. So H <laughs> comes back to our thing of, of H sort of being a bit isolated in Marillion. Yeah. Um, and it's... I think it, the, I think it comes across, though, in the lyrics that he's able to reach more of those poetic depths. I don't find with this album as a whole, it doesn't always feel as personal as some of his lyrics. No, but he is, he has got some great lyrics. But there's some great lyrics on it. And on top top of that, you know, I think this album musically as well as lyrically needed to happen for Marbles to happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the stepping stone to Marbles on on lots of different levels. Uh, And... You know, just the sheer fact that H felt comfortable enough for all the lyrics to be his and him not to mm. hide behind John Helmer at any point. So you think it was um, H's choice to sort of step up and say, I've got this, I'm ready to, to well, yeah, but with, own all the songs. But he had the backing of Dave Megan. Yeah. And that, that's why when we get to Marbles, there was, I think, some tensions at one point with the, that Dave would always sort of favour H. And, you know, it wasn't really until Marbles that H felt ownership of the band. Because um, he had that support from Dave. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Well, yeah, certainly, because, yeah, there are things that once we get to Marbles that we know that, that Rothers found it, it, it an incredibly stressful process, partly because he would get overruled by Dave, who was, I'm sorry, you know, Dave Meekin gets results out of this band. I would always defer to him. Yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, so between you and me, let's let's talk the lyric of that. Okay, I've got to be honest. I've got no idea what it's about. Okay. I've got, I've got. Let me see how many theories. <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> wow, really? Three possibilities. 
But I, one. I just think it's really obvious what it really? is. One, maybe about the giddiness of falling falling in love. Okay. Two, maybe about the giddiness of performing. Or three, maybe just about having fun with friends. <laughs> it's a song about sleepovers. Like going out and about with friends in the evening, you know, like teenagers or young wow. people might do. Okay. Um, some of the lyrics that stood out to me though were when uh, he says, "But I could never." This is, and this is why I thought maybe it's about the giddiness of performing. But I could never lose the light that shines towards tomorrow night. So it's kind of it's shining in the future. He knows like whatever's gonna whatever's coming up tomorrow night. I can only think about that. And move towards that and not be in the present moment. Oh. Um, and, yeah, but that's that's all I've got. Well, I, I genuinely <laughs> have no idea. I just think it's a song about being in love. Oh, it is about being well, in no, love. Well, I know. I think I couldn't actually find a necessary description because I don't think there has been one because I think it's... Oh, maybe. It's so maybe that um, find a light that shines towards tomorrow night is yeah. I can't wait to see you tomorrow night. Yeah. And the and in the day when they're not together, everything's a bit boring. And but I, I sort of, I suppose I sort of see it as um, I sort of see it as just sort of not being able to explain the sort of chemistry between someone you're in love with. You know, not being able to put it into words. That's where that's what threw me. It was like, what does between you and me mean? Yeah, it's you know who can say what it means, what goes on in between you and me. So it's like our chemistry is a mystery, but it, it's but just it works there. and it, it works. makes me giddy and right. feel like a kid. And oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. That's all. I don't I know think... why I didn't get that. Well, that's okay. I was genuinely scratching my head. Well, I think because I'd love of... to see what um, Fraser says on his website. Nothing. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. There's no explanation for most of the songs on this album because it's a mystery. There's there's an explanation of bits of the songs, but not the actual yeah. meaning of the songs. Uh, well, yeah, it was a mystery to me. Yeah, it, it's it, it's a mystery. <laughs> it is. Uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 just. I suppose it's easy with Marillion to look for deeper meanings because sort of many of their songs are quite sort of convoluted emotionally, but especially with H, especially with H, but also both H and Fish weren't afraid of just writing a simple love song mm. or a song about love, mm-hmm. which I wouldn't say this is necessarily a love song, but it is a song about being in love, I think. Yeah, I, I can kind of see it now. Let me just have a quick look at the lyrics. Yeah, okay. Can you see it? Do you want to read yeah. some out? Well, today I saw music in the sky. It gives a feeling of like excitement and hopefulness. Yep. It sang around me, I went blind. All right, yes, like a masterpiece in disguise. Couldn't stop it pulling at my eyes. Yeah, I can see it now. It's about about, about the attraction and, and being able to resist it as yes. well. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't think it needs a lot of dissection. Fair enough. There we go. So there we, there go. we go. That was Between You and Me, Between yes. You and Us. Yes. <laughs> Lovely little song. Quartz. Yeah. This is Pete's song. Pete's song. Is it ever? But pure Pete. At the same time, in the center. There's a lot going on here for all of them because I think Rother's guitar is pretty. You know, the choppy kind of. You know, he's. He's on fire 
as well. Mm-hmm. If you really yeah. listen to it, I think Pete gets all the plaudits, rightly so, for this song because it's entirely based around him. But there's, it's also a song that, that again, that thing of them all pulling together. It's yes. a song that conjures up the sound of sort of a clockwork kind of motor or, you know, cogs turning, you know, ticking of a clock in music form. Yeah. Which I love so it clever. when Meridian do that. So clever. I mean, yeah, I, I actually in my notes even wrote that I started off saying there's great synergy between the electric guitar and the keyboards. There's actually a great synergy between all of the instruments. Yeah, there they is. They are really working together in harmony and it sounds amazing. And it's that, it's, it, it's what I said, I think, last week, was how this is what I mean when I sort of say about Marillion sounding authentic but moving forwards. They mm-hmm. don't have to yes. sound like an it's, old prog band. Exactly. This is very, very Marillion-y, yeah. but in a completely different way. Yeah, it's modern. It's completely different to anything else they've done in the past. It feels, in some respects, the most progressive thing they've done since H joined the band, this song. Mm. You know, progressive you right. in the proper yes. way that, that prog should be. Yeah. This is going to sound like damning it with faint praise. I was going to say it's a shame that they, they don't have more songs that sound as different as Quartz because they really do have a sound as well. Mm. You know, when you think of Meridian, you think, oh, Invisible Man, oh, uh, New Kings, that, mm. you know, this strange engine, that's the sort of classic Meridian sound. But I love how different Quartz is. And, and yet it's still true to them. Still true to them and still true to the spirit of what progressive music should be. Because it doesn't sound like anyone else either. That's no, what I yeah. love about it. It's so unique. Yeah. Uh, and yet it's 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 got a groove to it. Genuinely a kind of proper sort of funky groove through the sort of rhythm section, the bass and the guitar. It's it's really They're groovy all song. Together. And on top of that, there's something really sexy about quartz. Is there? You listen to it. It's <laughs> okay. got re- it's really slinky. It's kind of yeah, and it's probably You've heard I, it here first, people. Paul Rose fancies the song Quartz. I do. I do. I would. I would. I would. I'd go there. We should do, uh, what's that game? Kiss, marry, uh, uh, throw off a cliff? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. What, that's, what is that game? That's, yeah. Well, is there's that various. There's, uh, oh. Uh, or snog, marry, avoid. Or, we should do that uh, with the songs marry, on the album. Or kill. There's various versions right. of it. Yes, we should. We'll do an episode of that. But H on this as well, it's probably the sexiest he sounded. Like singing is like something really seductive about his his vocal delivery on this. The I only guess. the only it's a bit husky maybe. I don't know. It's more it's more about how his voice sort of wraps around the groove. Uh, Raps being the operative word. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that. That's sort you of you didn't what... get it. Raps being well, the operative. Okay, word. let's talk about the rap. We'll get to it, yeah, in a second. Well, no, let's just do it now. Let's get it out of the way. Uh, I don't like that bit of the song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and on top of that, right, uh, rapping is that rapping? H, that's not rapping. Please don't say you were doing a rap. That's not a rap. Just because you speak a bit in the middle of a song, it's not a rap. No, don't. Don't try and make out that the song is blacker than it is. <laughs> I I wrote um. After I first listened to it, not sure what to think about the rapping part. Does it work? Kind of. Kind of. But it was a bit jarring on the first listen, but then with subsequent listens kind of got used to it. And I think I I think I've realized why it might be a bit jarring. There's the the underlying guitar 
underneath the rap is kind of a bit discordant. I was going to say discordant. Yeah, that makes it less pleasurable to listen to. I wish. But maybe they mean they maybe they mean it to be like that because of what it's about. Well, maybe, but at the same time, I wish. They wouldn't do it. They have. Yeah, I know. Yeah, me too. I'm they like, have I, tend- get, I yeah. get that it brings up an emotion which maybe they want us to feel, but I don't like feeling that. It's it's they have a real tendency sometimes, Marillion, to like put these horrible jarring bits in the songs, and mm-hmm. they do it at the end of this is the 21st century. I love that song up until that kind of horrible, yeah, outro. You know where it just suddenly kind of jars with the rest of the song, kind of yeah, is discordant. Yeah, yeah. You've had a lovely sort of melody and rhythm kind of going throughout, and then suddenly like, like don't do it's that. Not nice to listen to. No, but then it does make the ending better because it morphs into that beautiful oh, piece of music. Yeah, when he's singing, it's, it's so hard so... at the end, which is my favorite. I love the keyboard line as well, the sort of synth that comes in. Yes, and the guitar, the guitar in that part. That makes the rapping worth it. It does. Because it it makes you appreciate how nice it is even more. It's like crawling across broken glass to get to, I don't know. An oasis. I was going to say a winning lottery ticket. Oh, yeah, even better. (laughs) Oh, can I also mention there's a bit, um, another bit that I love in the music at around around 2 minutes 55 when the keyboards are kind of doing a wah-wah-wah thing. When I was listening to that bit, I was like, I'm, that's the kind of music I missed on Marillion.com. Okay. But maybe it's because the production was so much better on Anarachnophobia. Yeah. So it was more noticeable. Maybe. It's just, they're just better all round. I think having the extra time to be able to take over the songs, having Dave there. Having to, Dave there to be able to bring out the best out of the yeah. recorded music. But also having someone there who gets Marillion, but also yeah. can... can sort of shepherd into life a song like this that sounds like them while also not sounding anything like they've ever been. Yeah. Uh, and bring, you're bringing them into the, you know, excuse the, the irony, the 21st century. Yes. And it does. It this does. This is 21st century Marine. It's yeah. what, there's not a direct line from, uh, I don't know, let's say Fugazi to this, but, if you'd have told me after listening to Assassin or something in 1984 that this was a song that they're going to release in 2001, I'd have gone, okay, maybe, yeah. yeah. I sort of can understand yeah. that. Because it's got their essence in it. Yeah. It's not them trying to sound like someone else or copying someone else's style. It's authentic. It's authentic to them. And I do think with it is a shame about the horrible, jarring, unpleasant rap bit. Mm-hmm. Which... Uh... <laughs> that bit out well cut that bit out for a start because the song doesn't need to be nine minutes yeah that's a good point yeah it doesn't need to be nine minutes let's let's talk about the elephant in the room which is an issue with several songs on this album they don't all need to be 10 minutes long i hope that isn't what they've done with the new album an hour before it's dark i hope that they have earned their length Mm-hmm. and that it isn't just the same thing repeated over and over again. Because I don't think Quartz, this is the 21st century, even if my heart were a ball, necessarily need to all be 10 minutes long. That's half an hour of music in three songs. They're not even You can't even call any of those a suite. Mm, true. It's just repetition. Yeah, true. Maybe a little... I mean, I'll, I'll say it's a good song. If we're still talking about Quartz, it's a good song. I don't... It, I mean, yeah, it's a really good song. I don't think having that 
extra length of time ruins it. No. It might just take it up a level to be even better. I don't know. I think the extra time, actually, I think if it was a bit more concise, it'd be a better song. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, I'm saying I don't think it ruins the song. It doesn't make it a bad song. Oh, you mean taking out less... Taking out, yeah, cutting the rap, for example, would have made it a great song. It would be even better than it is. Yes, yes, I agree. Uh, But it's not like having the rap ruins it. No, and it is a song, I'm afraid, that I do go to the toilet during at gigs. Do you? Not because I dislike it. Why? Because I know I can go and have a quick two-minute wee and the song will still be carrying on as it was before. (laughs) <laughs> oh but that ending yeah i'm back before the ending oh right okay yeah. fair enough i know i'm not gonna miss anything yeah and that's not you just the... want to be back for the ending because yeah. the, the ending's amazing that's not the mark of a song that needs to be 10 minutes long is it when you can go and have a wee and know you won't miss a thing it's me with this strange engine yeah well that's not that's not the as song to do I'm it back in back for the ending it's not the song to do it in because it changes throughout oh, that's true that's true right what what do you think this one's about Well, let's see. What I've written down was before we did this podcast. So I wrote, if the last song was about having fun with friends, we know it wasn't. Mm. But if it had been, then Quartz is like the opposite. So it seems like it's describing the realisation of how incompatible you really are with someone. Um, Whoever he's singing about, he's making it very clear that he does not enjoy spending time with them anymore. Mm. It's like he's realised how different they are, how opposite they are, and not in a compatible... You know, like some people say opposites attract. In this instance, it doesn't seem like they are attracting. I actually love how he uses the watch analogy to describe this. I thought that was really clever of him. It's genius. Yeah, really clever. It's lyrical genius. Yeah, Really poetic, lyrical genius. Yeah, although, you're although right. Although, get this, my favourite line in the entire song is yeah. an H line. What? What? You're only happy when you wind me up. I love that line. That's not his line. Mark Kelly. Get out of yeah, here. Yeah, Mark Kelly suggested it. Oh, kudos to Mark Kelly. Yeah. A- absolutely genius. So I looked up what the difference was between quartz and um, mechanical watches, yeah. clockwork watches. Oh, get you. Yeah, and... And it just made me appreciate the lyrics even more because apparently quartz watches are very accurate and very low maintenance. They tend to be low cost because they are battery powered and have very few moving moving parts. So they're, they're like the minimalists. They don't need much, but they get the basics done, but they're very accurate. They'll, right. they'll always be right. Um, whereas me- mechanical timepieces might be less accurate, <laughs> but they're more desirable to watch enthusiasts because it takes a lot more artistry and engineering to create them. Oh. Yeah, they, they require a lot more technical craftsmanship. I guess you could say that clockwork is more sensitive and complicated, even though it's less reliable. It's more beautiful and valuable. Oh. Whereas quartz is very dependable. And even H says in the song, it's never wrong. <laughs> but yeah. once their battery dies, they stop. Yeah. So um, I really appreciate that. I thought it was really clever. And I loved how he used, you know, the typical watch advert word phrases. Like, mm. and then start again. Can I say that again? And I loved how he used the typical watch advert phrases, but turned them around in the song. So instead of, 
so he was like i need maintenance i need patience i'm not foolproof i'm not waterproof yeah. i'm not shockproof bomb proof bulletproof fireproof leak proof child proof stain proof pressure proof yeah whereas like a quartz watch is you yeah. know the quartz watch is the sensible reliable Obviously, I relate to the clockwork. Yeah, well, <laughs> this as is do why I. I'm like, you know, and as does H, I think. <laughs> this is why I'm like, yeah, I'm not bulletproof or shockproof either. But you know, quartz is the sensible, reliable, dependable, never wrong, never wrong thing. It's just yeah. perfect. But what you know, a great clockwork! Lyric. Clockwork is beautiful yeah. and intricate. What a great and lyric. collectible and rare. This is him at his his best. Yeah, it really is. It shows what a it, genius lyricist it's. And yes. I'm going to say this. This is... There's a sort of uh, poetry to that lyric. A yes. clever wordplay that you wouldn't necessarily get from Fish. There's... Mm. Uh, this is why I think H is a better lyricist. Uh, you know, Fish will I throw... I absolutely agree Fish with will you. throw a thesaurus at a song mm. and... And kind of almost the the poetry often feels a bit laboured. Whereas this, you know, I'm sure it was a lot of work to get a song written like that. But what it does is is it it feels effortless as a set of words. Mm, it just works. Yeah. It just it's like it's meant to be. Without again, without kind of you know, you don't need to you know have a ten syllable long word. Yeah, he you know, hasn't used any complicated words, and yet. It's so cleverly crafted. Yeah. So cleverly, artistically crafted. And I think this is what I meant. It's not extremely emotionally raw or personal. It's just observational. But this is what I meant with when I said I was glad that I was glad he had Dave Megan there if it allowed him to have that confidence to bring out that poetry. Yeah. Giving H that that support that he can stand on to have the confidence Mm -hmm. to to access those kind of lyrics yeah yeah I, i'm sorry i'm still reeling like we didn't even talk about it about his comment saying that there was a kind of bravado with the rest of the band does that i'm, I'm a bit surprised by that well yeah i really yeah they i mean at least okay pete seems sensitive yeah but there's a difference between being sensitive and being able to talk about what you're feeling Oh, I suppose, they, yeah. It's one thing to feel something. It's another thing to be able to describe something. And, and also... And maybe be willing to um, hold space for someone else talking yeah. about their feelings. Yeah. I guess some people feel, you know, if someone comes to you with emotions, a lot of people, if they're not ready to access that in themselves, they just shut down and put a wall. Yeah. They don't want to see it in the other person either. No. Whereas if you've been able to allow yourself to access those feelings and accept them in yourself, you're able to hold the space for someone else experiencing them mm. or talking about them. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily. I, I don't get the sense. I wouldn't. I wouldn't describe Pete as sensitive. I'd describe him as sweet. Yeah. <laughs> H is sensitive. Yeah, maybe H is sensitive. I mean, I think Rothers is sensitive, but in an introverted way. Yeah, very much so. I can't. Yeah, uh, you know, heck, we don't know any of them. This is well, the, we don't know any of them. And, but, I'm, I'm like really speculating. I know nothing about these fellows. But H does, and as he said, they're all um, emotional basket cases. <laughs> 
apart from him. Wait, wouldn't an emotional basket case be someone with a lot of emotions that are a mess? Okay, fine. They're emotionally imprisoned. <gasps> oh, they're ice. <laughs> ice, ice cases. Lords. Ice lords. <laughs> ice lords. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Anyway, quartz. Brilliant lyric, yeah. brilliant song. Show about Musically that little bit. amazing, yes. Uh, would have been a better song without it. Slightly too long, but I still would put this up in there as a Meridian classic. I would. Yeah, uh, I would, just because it stands out. And as a one-two punch to this new album from Between You and Me to this, it's a real statement of intent. This is a new sort of Meridian, one that you know, can go from sounding like you 2 to sounding like... <laughs> To sounding like Niall Rogers. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, uh, we're going to wrap it up there because we've talked too long. Uh, but next week we'll we'll finish off with the rest of the album. Yes. Uh, if you wanna, if uh, you wanna write to us about anaerophobia, um, we'd rather it wasn't a song by song breakdown. Just pick out your highlights, just so that we can get as many letters read as we can. Uh, just your general feeling about the 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 album at the time. Be really interested to know whether that birth of crowdfunding was something that that got you excited. Uh, what your memories are of gigs and mm. anything else that's interesting. Yes, good. All right. Uh, go subscribe to us. Uh, tell people about us. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called. Go check out our Kickstarter or our Patreon. Links below in the podcast description. I think that's all the hard sell, isn't it, for this week? I think that covers it, yeah. Good. Lunch! Lunchtime! Bye! Bye Bye-bye!